Sometimes when I'm teaching, uh, the kindergartners will get a little bit antsy uh, while they're sitting on the rug, right? So they'll, sometimes they'll crawl around to another spot, you know, maybe to poke a friend or explore another part of the classroom or, or something like that. And sometimes this will prompt me to ask, and I'll say, where are you supposed to be? And they'll, they'll usually say something like, over there in my spot, because they all, they all know where their spot is, right? Or uh, if they're in their seats and they, they might get out of their seat, I'll say, donde esta tu silla? Where is your seat? And they're like, over there. I'm like, see. I think this is a kind of a human instinct, right? Just to sort of wander around. Um, sometimes I imagine Hashem prompting me to repent. You know, he's asking me, David, where are you supposed to be? Over there. I think uh, because of our tendency to wander, we can sometimes develop fear in this area. The idea that we're supposed to be somewhere else. Like we're in the wrong place spiritually in our lives. Do you ever feel that way? When I was single, I thought, you know, I, I, should, I should really be married by now. I'm not supposed to be in this place. Sometimes people think that they should be further along in their careers or in their studies than they are. Often, we can compare ourselves to other people, right? And say, well, they're, they're over there, so I should be over there too. Sometimes we might feel that we're behind other people. Um, we're not supposed to be uh, where we are in life, right? In, in our maturity or, or some other measure of quote-unquote success. Some people might feel like they're perpetually late. Um, they might think, uh, oh, I should have taken care of this earlier, and now I won't be able to catch up, as if the mistakes of our past um, mess up our future, right? Are the decisions that we make about our lives irreversible? Can we end up so far outside of God's will that we miss our destiny? To tackle this question, I thought we could take a look at the story of Purim. As we read and, ex- as we read and experienced on Wednesday night, the story of Esther is an amazing story of God's redemption and salvation. Now, the story of Esther takes place in, does anyone know where it takes place? Susa, or Shushan, which is in where? Persia. Is, which is essentially um, modern-day Iran. Uh, there are also many Jews who were living there at the time of the story and uh, that were almost annihilated by Haman. But is that where the Jews were supposed to be? Were they supposed to be in Shushan? Well, let's go back a little bit further to the time before the children of Israel entered the land of Israel. All right, so we're still wandering in the desert. We came out of Egypt, all right, and that's where we are. The children of Israel were promised the land of Israel as their inheritance, but it was not an unconditional promise. In Deuteronomy 4, 21 uh, through 29, Moses instructs Israel to remain faithful to God in the land once they cross over. And this is what he says. 
The Lord was angry with me because of you, and he solemnly swore that I would not cross the Jordan and enter the good land the Lord your God is giving you as your inheritance. I will die in this land. I will not cross the Jordan. But you are about to cross over and take possession of that good land. Be careful not to forget the covenant of the Lord your God that he made with you. Do not make for yourselves an idol in the form of anything the Lord your God has forbidden. For the Lord your God is a consuming fire, a jealous God. After you have had children and grandchildren and have lived in the land a long time, if you then become corrupt and make any kind of idol, doing evil in the eyes of the Lord your God and arousing his anger, I call the heavens and the earth as witnesses against you this day that you will quickly perish from the land that you are crossing the Jordan to possess. You will not live there long, but will certainly be destroyed. And here's, here's the, the important part. The Lord will scatter you among the peoples. He will scatter you among the nations. In other words, the exile is a consequence for disobedience. And only a few of you will survive among the nations to which the Lord will drive you. There you will worship man-made gods of wood and stone, which cannot see or hear or eat or smell. But, here's the important but. Let's read that together. If from there you seek the Lord your God, you will find him if you seek him with all your heart and with all your soul. Amen? All right. So according to this, they were supposed to be, they were supposed to be in the land of Israel. That was their inheritance. That was their destiny. However, if they were disobedient, they would be kicked out of the land that God had given them. Their prospering in the land and living there was dependent on their faithfulness to Hashem, their part of the bargain, their commitment to Torah. Otherwise, they would be exiled. They would be scattered among the nations. Now, as we saw, this was the land that Moses himself longed for, right? But he was not able to enter it during his lifetime. But that's not the end of the story because Moses says that even when they're not there, even when they're not where they're supposed to be, even when they're scattered abroad and chastised for idolatry, they will find God when they seek him with all their heart. If they turn and repent, even if their actions had brought them to the wrong place, they could still find God. You see, Israel's purpose was to be a blessing to the nations, laid out by Moses just a few verses earlier in the same chapter, Deuteronomy 4, verses 5 through 7. This is what he tells them. See, I have taught you decrees and laws as the Lord my God commanded me so that you may follow them in the land you are entering to take possession of it. Observe them carefully, for this will show your wisdom and understanding to the nations who will hear about all these decrees and say, surely this great nation is a wise and understanding people. What other nation is so great as to have their gods near them the way the Lord our God is near us whenever we pray to him? And what other nation is so great as to have such righteous decrees and laws as this body of laws I'm setting before you today? So Israel's purpose was to reflect the glory of God to the other nations, be it 
in the land of Israel, where they were supposed to be, or scattered abroad. In other words, even when they were in the wrong place because of their own mistakes, they could, not, they could still repent and fulfill their calling. They may be down, but they're not out. Okay, so let's fast forward a few years to 2 Kings uh, 17, verses 16 through 18. Got that? They forsook all the commands of the Lord their God and made for themselves two idols cast out of the shape of calves and an Asherah pole. They bowed down to all the starry hosts and they worshiped Baal. They sacrificed their sons and daughters in the fire. They practiced divination and sought omens and sold themselves to do evil in the eyes of the Lord, arousing his anger. So what's going to be the consequence of this? The exile. So the Lord was very angry with Israel and removed them from his presence, his presence in the land of Israel. Only the tribe of Judah was left, and even Judah did not keep the commands of the Lord their God. They followed the practices Israel had introduced. So now they're exiled. They're in totally the wrong place, cast out because of gross disobedience that we just read. I mean, they're sacrificing their own children to foreign gods. They're way off. There's a psalm that captures the despair, the, 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 the sadness of this period in our history, right? And that is Psalm 137. You know, there was even a song written about it. Does anyone know this song? It goes, By the rivers of Babylon Where we sat down Yeah, we wept When we remember Zion Again, by the rivers of Babylon Let me hear you. Down, yeah, we wept when we remember Zion. When the wicked carried us away in captivity, required from us a song. How shall we sing the Lord's song in a strange land? So let the words of our mouth and the meditations of our heart be acceptable in thy sight, Adonai. You guys sound great. Give yourselves a hand. So this is, this is of course, how the Jews ended up scattered. We ended up exiled in the kingdom of Babylon, even as far as Shushan or Susa in Persia. When we are introduced to the character of Mordecai, this is how he is introduced in the story of Esther, chapter 2, verses 5 through 6. Now, there was in the city of Susa a Jew of the tribe of Benjamin named Mordecai, Yay! Son of Jair, the son of Shimei, son of Kish, who had been carried into exile from Jerusalem by Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, among those taken captive with Jehoiakim, king of Judah. 
Most historians place the story of Esther in the middle of the story of Ezra. In the time of Ezra, the Jews uh, actually started to return back to the land and rebuild. In other words, by the time Esther was queen, Jews had probably already begun to return to the land. So they were in exile for just 70 years. It wasn't a permanent exile. And they started to return. But not all of them did. Not all of them back, went back to where they were supposed to be. Some were still scattered, and some still lived in the city of Shushan, in Susa. The most famous line of the story of Esther, um, which you probably, many of you might know, is this. And it's spoken by Mordecai to encourage Esther to intercede for the Jews. And it's found in Esther uh, chapter 4, verses 13 through 14. Mordecai sent back this answer. Do not think that because you are in the king's house, you alone of all the Jews will escape. For if you remain silent at this time, relief and deliverance for the Jews will arise from another place. But you and your families, your father's family, will perish. And who knows but that you have come to your royal position for such a time as this. The word used for time here in such a time as this, in the Greek Septuagint is kairos. This is a very specific Greek word that means God's appointed time. In other words, even in the land of exile, even when some Jews did not return to the land, even when the Jews were on the brink of destruction from an anti-Semitic diabolical madman, even then, Esther can be in God's appointed time, at God's appointed place. You see, God is outside of time. He's not constrained by time and place. So even when we're not where we are supposed to be, we can turn to God and we can be in his appointed time. Now, to clarify a few boundaries about this theme. First, Although being in the wrong place does not mean we are hopeless and separated from the plans of God, this does not give us license to deliberately step outside of God's will. We shouldn't run away from the promised land, justifying our behavior with this knowledge. We should run toward the promised land, toward where we are supposed to be, knowing God's mercy and sovereignty over our mistakes. In the same vein, there are natural consequences of our actions, of our sins. God does not simply erase all the ill effects of our poor choices, but he's not constrained by them. He's not limited by them. He can still get us where we need to be if we turn to him. Secondly, there's another boundary. Uh, While in our exile, our people were confronted with the person of Haman, essentially representing evil. Some, some say that we experienced this, we experienced this evil because we were in the wrong place. In other words, they attribute our suffering under Haman to us, uh, to the exile and, and the sins that brought us there. Is this a consequence of our missteps? Were we almost annihilated as a corrective result uh, from God? Um, well, we have to be able to distinguish God's 
gentle correction as a father corrects his son from the forces of evil which God destroys. I've heard theories that try to explain even Hitler's uh, actions this way. He, he was essentially the modern equivalent of Haman, right? They try to uh, explain natural disasters, such as the devastating floods, by saying it's, it's a divine retribution for sin, as if to say all the residents of New Orleans deserved Hurricane Katrina, which, of course, is not true. Evil is not from God, for God is good, and there is no evil in him. Moreover, God doesn't use evil. He doesn't use Haman as a teaching tool. Combining the metaphor of Psalm 23 and John 10, if God's people are sheep, his correction and teaching of the sheep is with the rod and the staff, not with the wolf. He protects the sheep from the wolf with the rod and staff. In the same vein, Hashem does not correct us with evil. Hashem corrects us with love and protects us from evil. In conclusion, Jeremiah encourages the exiles of Israel in chapter 29 with these words in verses 4 through 7. This is what the Lord Almighty says, the God of Israel, to all those I carried into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. So this is his advice to those who are outside of the land. Build houses and settle down. Plant gardens and eat what they produce. Marry and have sons and daughters. Find wives for your sons and give your daughters in marriage so that they too may have sons and daughters. Increase in number there. Do not decrease. Also, seek the peace and prosperity of the city to which I have carried you into exile. Pray to the Lord for it, for the city, because if it prospers, you too will prosper. In other words, even though your choices have brought you to this point, he's saying, live your life for God. This command to increase and not decrease, it reminds us of the first major commandment given to all of humanity. Be fruitful and multiply. Just as God said to Adam and Eve, his calling and purpose for us has not changed. Bring the knowledge of God the love of God, the kingdom of God throughout the earth. And even if you're in exile from the Garden of Eden, even if you're in exile from the land of promise, pray for the place where you are because you are still my representative on the earth. Our location, physical or spiritual, does not affect our identity or our calling. You do not have to have everything perfectly in place in order to repent and be used by God. You do not have to be further along in school to be used by God. You do not have to be married to be part of God's kingdom story. You do not have to have led a perfect life to experience the kairos, God's appointed times. Wherever you are in life, God's appointed times can still come. No mistake has to derail what God has for us if we turn back to God. He is full of mercy to those who repent and come back to be part of his story. In all things, in all things, God works for the good of those who love him, those called according to his purpose. Amen.